Good morning. Hello. Lovely to be here again. So, I've entitled this talk, Tuning In, but it could just as easily be called Hearing God, Prayer, Communion, or Practicing the Presence of God, as really they're all the same thing. And as a follower of Jesus, and as a dearly loved child of the Father, and a dwelling place of Holy Spirit, it surprises me, actually, that I can spend so much time seemingly disconnected in my mind from the Trinity. Now, I know that it's impossible for me to be separate from God, I know that, but am I as fully aware of him in my daily life as I could be? In John 14, 20, Jesus says, I am in the Father, you're in me, and I'm in you. So it makes sense to me that we can hear him and be heard by him all the time. But sometimes tuning in does take practice. And I think Brother Lawrence was right when he called it practicing the presence of God. I'm not sure it's quite what he meant, but I know that I really need the practice. Quieting oneself, centering in, focusing on Jesus. It's all the same thing. And I think it's like being so aware of God and his presence that he becomes the reality and the external becomes the illusion. If you think about that, that's incredible. He becomes the reality, and the external becomes the illusion. I think my life would be radically different if I was in that place the whole time. Madame Guion, the 17th century mystic, wrote, the way we become perfect is to live in the presence of God. Now, the times when I'm running on all cylinders, and it's not actually that often spiritually, are times when I'm actively connected to the flow of love and care coming from the throne of grace. He really is interested in every area of my life. That's not to say I ask him what to wear or what to cook for dinner. I know some people have done that in the past, and I've thought that's slightly crazy. But he, is, he has permission to speak into my life at any time about anything. I don't always listen, and I don't always agree, but he knows that he has permission. He often reminds me about things when I'm rushing about in the mornings, um, trying to get ready to go out. He reminds me of things I've forgotten that would make my life more easier during the day. Nigel and I have this thing where you hear that still, small voice, and you ignore it (laughs) at your peril, because the pen you needed, the something you needed, the way you should have gone in the car, you should have listened, and we say, I did that thing again. I heard X and I did Y. Not massive things, but just things to make our lives easier. Actually, thinking about it, God's having to remind me more and more of things as I get older. So I'm expecting that to continue. So what we believe about God and about ourselves will influence how easily we hear and what we expect to receive from Father. If we really, really believe that he's good and that we are loved then all the fear will go, and we're free to enjoy his bountiful blessings. Speaking of Bill Johnson from Bethel, he tells a great story in one of his teachings where he's sitting by the river, you may have heard it, he's sitting by the river, and he's watching the trout, or doing their trouty stuff, um, jumping up and catching flies, and he thought to himself, I wonder if trout catch bees or eat bees, because they've got a stinger. All of a sudden, a bee fell from the sky, plopped onto the water, a trout came up and ate it, swallowed it whole. And um, Bill was filled, he says he was filled with the knowledge that his heavenly father loved him and that he was really interested in him. And I think it's a bit much to cause a bee to commit suicide and plop into the water just for Bill Johnson, but I'm guessing maybe it died of old age, I don't know. 
But Bill says he forgets lots of things that God's done for him, but he'll never forget that. And that just seems, I mean, it's an incredible thing. He thought a question, God answered it immediately. I absolutely love that. And I believe that we can expect him to communicate and commune with us in exactly the same way. Many years ago, and I've told this story before, when I was coming into an understanding of how much God loved me, I was sitting on the toilet at college. I went back to do um, O-level maths as an adult because I completely, it was Chinese to me as a, as a student. And um, I was sitting on the to- toilet and I was looking at the door, as you ladies do. We always read the, you know, I don't know what men do, but we read the stuff. And in the, and the college, there was quite a lot of fruity stuff, but in the middle was a heart. And it just said, I love you. And as I read that, it was like something went deep within me. It was more than just reading that. The religious part of Ellie said, oh, God wouldn't speak to me through a toilet door while I'm sitting on the toilet. That's just not on. So that evening when I was doing my last, you know, my end of night prayer, Bible reading, I said to God, would you show me that that was you? I really, really felt that was you, but I need to know from the Bible that that was you. And he took me to Psalm 42, verse 8, which says, By day, the Lord directs his love. And as soon as I read that, I'm like, wow, that really, really was him. And that was incredible. And then I was able to take from that everything. Once I knew it was definitely him, I was able to accept everything that he was saying. In Romans 8.32, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things all things salvation yes peace yes joy yes love yes but a dead bee and a love message on a toilet door i just find that incredible our god is so real so that was from romans 8 and i love romans 8 one of my favorites so let's have a look at what else it has to say about prayer or communion in the same way the spirit helps us in our weakness We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works together for the good of those who love him, that's us people, and have been called according to his purpose. So it's a done deal. God wants the best for us, and he'll give it to us. And to make it even easier, if we don't know what to pray, Holy Spirit prays for us. That's like a win-win situation. But we know the saying that with great power comes great responsibility. Now I think God will give incredible power to those that he can trust to use it wisely. He likes to train us in righteousness, as it says in 2 Timothy 3.16. The closer we are to God's heart, The more we know him and recognize his voice, the more likely we are to pray his desires instead of our own. Jesus says that the sheep know his voice, and that's because the sheep spent their whole days and nights with the shepherd. They were fed, they were watered, they were moved around to the best grazing, and they were protected. A few years ago, a friend of mine shared this story. She'd been praying for a friend um, who had cancer and was dying. And my friend had enormous faith for healing. She'd seen incredible healings um, in her time. And she was contending really, really fiercely for this woman. She was praying passionately, fervently, and continuously. And one night, God woke her up. And he said very clearly to her, you must stop praying for Mary. She's tired, and she wants to come home. My friend knew then that she had to stop praying. Her prayers were keeping her friend. Whatever your theology on that is, 
that's what she believed God said to her. Her prayers were keeping Mary from entering into that place she wanted to go. Prayers are powerful. I'm sure you've all heard of soulish prayers. They're the prayers we, the prayers we pray out of our soul, not out of our spirit. They usually come from a twisted desire to control a situation for our own ends. I heard once that the pastor of a church was looking at the um, gaps in their ministry slots. I'm assuming Andrew and Mandy don't do this. I'll check at the staff meeting on Tuesday. They were looking at the gaps in their ministry slots. They were identifying people in local churches who were doing that job, and they were actively praying them by name from that church into this. Now, something in me just goes, yeah, when I hear about that. Because there's a gap in the ministry. That is a soulish prayer, I believe. Um, And that's nasty. So a few years ago, I was up in the night spending time with God. um, And I tuned into his heart. And he was speaking to me from Psalm 17. Though you probe my heart, though you examine me at night and test me, you will find I've planned no evil. My mouth has not transgressed. My steps have held to your paths. My feet have not stumbled. I call on you, my God, for you will answer me. Turn your ear to me and hear my prayer. Show me the wonders of your great love. Now, King David expected God to answer him because he knew he'd positioned himself correctly. That night, I felt a supernatural knowing that I had positioned myself correctly. And whatever I asked for at that moment, God would give me. It was a divine and very scary moment. I was deep in Father's heart and he was offering me whatever I wanted. What, what do you do with that? What do you pray? I was about to ask for a dog. We'd lost our beloved Collie a few years back and I have longed for another one since. As I opened my mouth to ask for a dog, God spoke really clearly to me and he said... Be careful what you ask for. And as he said it, he showed me my heart. The desire for a dog actually came from a desire for companionship, fun, for someone to love me unconditionally and passionately like my collie used to. I realised it wasn't the dog I wanted, it was the adoration. Luckily I had Nigel. A dog then would have actually been really impractical, but I was blinded by my deep heart's desire. And I learned a really good lesson there. Often when I pray for others now, I can't really get past the Lord's Prayer. It's the only time I know I'm praying God's will and not my own. And it is a great prayer. His kingdom come, his will be done, provide for us, guide for us, deliver us, amen. Pretty much sums it up. When we spend time with God and expect him to speak, there are a couple of useful tools we can help us We do these at the uh, senior pastors' retreats. One is um, the imaginative contemplation of scripture. Um, This is where we insert ourselves into a Bible story and use our sanctified imagination, the same as with the Emmanuel approach. We use the Gospels because we want to see Jesus and hear Jesus in action. We don't want to know about him or think about him. We want to experience him. Imaginative prayer makes the Jesus of the Gospels our Jesus. And it helps us develop a unique and personal relationship with him. I'm not going to go into any more details. There's about eight sheets of this at the back. If anyone's interested, take them. If if they go, email the office and I'll ping them through to you. The other one is taking a contemplative walk. This is awesome. Um, We're so used to rushing around from pillar to post that we don't actually stop and look at the beauty around us. The beauty of creation, the beauty of each other. 
In this walk, we slow right down, we tune into Jesus' presence, and we ask him to speak to him. We listen to him as he speaks through the things that we hear, see, smell, touch. So help yourself to these at the back if you want them. And as I said, if they go, email the office. So, of course, Holy Spirit is speaking all the time. It's not just when we're actively tuning into him. So how do we position ourselves to be tuned in as often as possible? And I find it best to hear when my heart is thankful. As I give God for everything that good, everything good that happens in my day and thank him, it opens the way for me to be attentive to his whispers. In Philippians 4, Paul tells us to pray with thanksgiving, and I know it works for me. We should also be expectant. We need to trust that what we see and hear is God. God is in everything. Jesus holds everything together. And it's amazing how we can hear him and see him in diverse places. A few years ago, um, Nigel and I wanted to go to South Africa with the family. He'd been out before and helped to build this step-down unit. Um, we had some friends who had a ministry out there. There were five of us who wanted to go. We didn't really have any spare money. We'd been praying about it, expecting God to, you know, send a blank check or send money in or whatever, however he does it. And there was nothing. And I was beginning to feel a bit despondent, thinking we're not going to be able to go. So we went on a long weekend to Spain, and on the television one night, yes people, we watch television on holiday, well we did, um, on the television one night this uh, advert popped up, and it's, it was a South African flag, and it said right across, it's about up for about a second, South Africa, it's possible. And as I saw that, it was doing straight into me. And it was an advert for the Football World Cup, which was being held in South Africa in 2010. I think it's incredible that God took us to Spain to see this advert for, for South Africa. He's just so clever. So when we got back, I was really encouraged by this, obviously. And as, when we got back, I phoned a friend who worked for BA. And she got us flights for £360 return each. I know, it's a miracle. We were speaking to someone um, whose husband is a pilot, and she said, but that's only the tax. You haven't actually paid for any of the flight, you've just paid the tax. She said, my husband can't get it any cheaper than that. So five of us were able to go for just over the cost of one ticket. It was wonderful. That is a true miracle. So being, if I hadn't seen that South Africa it's possible, I wouldn't then have made the effort to phone a friend, as it were. So being expectant is a key. I am convinced that faith attracts God like a magnet. The Bible says that his eyes roam to and fro across the earth, looking for those whose hearts are fully steadfast on him. Let's be those that attract the Father's gaze. It sounds really exciting. Just think of the possibilities and the opportunities. And finally, let's be teachable. Don't let's think we have it all figured out. Let's be open to new ideas and new experiences, a contemplative walk, imaginative prayer, Let's not be so scared of being deceived that we call the work of the Holy Spirit the work of the devil. Holy Spirit is the best teacher. He's even better than me. And he's the best counsellor. And he gives wisdom liberally. He's even wiser than Carol. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm right saying that. God isn't out to trip us up. And if we ask for good things like hearing from him and being with him, he won't reward us by allowing us to fall into error. And we have the Bible and we have each other to check out if we're unsure. So let's try spending some time practicing God's presence this summer. In November, we'll be offering a retreat day for ladies and for gentlemen, where we'll take time to be with, listen to, and learn some contemplative practices that will help us to be more aware of him in our daily lives. So look out for that. There'll be, I keep echoing, there'll be um, 
literature about that. David. So Father, once again we ask for your anointing to come on David, ask for the Eve. Just give him a clear mind and uh, that your words would flow from him today, Holy Spirit, that it would be words of life and uh, help us to receive everything that you have. Amen. Amen. Morning. Um, I wanted to talk a bit this morning about relationships and how we do relationships, specifically with other people. Um, Andrew talked a bit last week about celebrating our relationships, and I believe it's something that we do really well in this church, in our communities. It's wonderful, but I think as well, how we do relationships is something that we constantly need to evaluate how am I loving that person how am I uh, showing that person that they are cared for and particularly in recent years I think the way that we've or the way that people communicate has undergone an enormous shift um, my my dad got called out by this the other week he uh, he came home and he said oh, I had a phone call from well his sister and uh, she'd said Oh, your niece wants to speak to you, but she's, uh, she's worried you're annoyed with her. And there was no reason to be. She hadn't done anything wrong. And he said, why, why does she think that? And, uh, and his sister said, oh, because the last message you sent her, you finished it with a full stop. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> some, some people here will be thinking, yep, fair. And uh, some people won't, won't have a clue. And I think that just demonstrates, and it's a minor thing, obviously, but I think it demonstrates hugely how the way that we communicate with each other and talk to each other has shifted drastically. And so actually, what does it mean within these changes to love other people? What does it mean to be in godly relationships? Relationships as a whole is something on which Jesus placed a huge amount of importance uh, Matthew 22, 30, 34 to 40, Jesus is asked, which is the greatest commandment? And his response is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So Jesus, when asked to isolate the, the most important thing, gives two, and they're both about relationships. How are you loving God? And how are you loving other people? And this could have a whole host of responses, and I'm barely going to scratch the surface of it, but the one that I've been dwelling on recently is the question of, are we living out authentic relationships? There was a film released a couple of years ago called Ingrid Goes West, and uh, in this film... The title character is scrolling through uh, Instagram posts, I believe, and she gets to one and she decides to make a comment on it. And so she writes her, her, her first comment, looks at it, stops, you see a shake of the head, she scraps it entirely. She writes out a new one. And the new one finishes with ha ha ha. And she looks at that, she gets rid of that, she changes it to he he he. And then goes through a couple more iterations before finally deciding, yep that is what I'm happy to send. And I think that's a really powerful picture of where some people in this world are at the moment, desperate for connection, wanting to make a comment on a photo so that they can engage with someone in some way, but 
not being able to be themselves. I believe we're living in a world that's crying out for authenticity, longing for connection where there doesn't need to be a facade, you don't need to wear a mask, you can be yourself and you're free to do that and you're loved within that. So what does it mean for us to be authentic? I, I picked out two aspects and the first one was being authentic has flawed human beings. Being honest, being open, not airbrushing our flaws or struggles. In John 4, when Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well, uh, she's on her own, she's an outcast, people aren't talking to her, she's in probably, well, she, she is in a questionable situation in her personal life, and, and my guess would be, this isn't in the text, but my guess would be that she's probably not looking to share that with a stranger. But Jesus brings it into the light, he breaks down that barrier immediately. Verses 16 to 19, he told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. And I imagine that probably wasn't comfortable for her. It's, e it's easy to read the rest of the passage and see the positivity that comes to it and the fact that she goes back to her village and, and tells people about that she's met this person that she thinks the Messiah. But I imagine that probably wasn't comfortable for her. But what it does is it opens up the situation to engage on a deep level. She, she's no longer wearing a mask. She no longer has this facade. There's no barrier or boundary between her and Jesus. And I think the challenge for us is, are our relationships with each other as Christians, with people we meet once, with close friends, are our relationships defined by an openness, a willingness to share, a desire to engage on a deep level, or are they defined by the barriers that we're putting up? and the boundaries. Do we go into conversation with people, hit a point and go, oh no, I probably shouldn't, I don't want to share that. Um, quick note, there is a difference between showing restraint and refusing to be open, and there is sometimes wisdom in showing restraint in the conversations that you're having, but this is a question of, are we deliberately putting out walls which don't allow us to engage on a deep level? So that's being authentic as, as flawed humans, but we believe that through Jesus, our identity is not just in being a flawed human. As Andrew was saying earlier, it's having the kingdom of God within us. So I think authenticity also comes within being authentic as children of God. Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. You were taught with regards to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. When I was preparing, I looked up what does authentic mean and one of the definitions was of undisputed origin. And if this new self that the passage is talking about if the source is the cross of Jesus, if our origin is being created in the image of God, then authenticity is not just sharing our flaws, it is also sharing our striving to emulate him, to be more like Jesus, to grow in relationship with him. 
One quote that I found said, an authentic person is one who is both privately and publicly putting off the old self and by God's grace putting on the renewed self. So authentic relationships, therefore, are born out of a genuine faith and our attitudes towards one another become defined not just by wanting to be nice to the other person, but by a true heartfelt desire to love in the way that was demonstrated by Jesus. But practically, I think this is only possible if we allow God to permeate our relationships through prayer. I think so often it's easy, or certainly it is for me, I don't know if it is for you, it's very easy to almost have that thought in your head, God, hold on over there a minute, I'm just trying to love this person. Whereas actually, if we bring God into the relationship, if we don't let our relationships become two-party, but let them be us, the other person, and him, then the opportunity to love other people and show them who Jesus is becomes so much more powerful. I love a passage in Nehemiah. Um, So in the first chapter, Nehemiah heard that the wall of Jerusalem, its gates are in ruins, and he's devastated that the the city is destroyed. And then in chapter 2, he goes to the king who he's serving. The king sees sees his sadness um, and asks what's wrong. And Nehemiah is scared, but explains. And after this, the king asks, what is it that you want? And I, I read that and I think, how would I respond to that? And I think probably I would have reeled off a pre-prepared answer, thinking I can be confident in this. I've thought through what, how he might respond. Uh, um, but the next words in Nehemiah are, then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. And that's not to say he didn't prepare, but his first thought was, I've been asked a question, I'm going to lift it up, and then I'm going to speak. I, and this is, this is a challenge that I've had majorly over the last few months, is what would it look like if our relationships, when we're asked questions, whatever they might be, when we're asked questions, our first reaction is, God, I'm going to bring this to you, then I'm going to speak. What would it look like if you go into work on Monday morning, someone asks, what did you do at the weekend? And your first response is, God, what should I say? How should I share what I did in a way which glorifies you? I've written down this quote a while ago, and I don't don't know who it's from, but... um, It says, the whole reason we pray is to be united into the vision and communion of him to whom we pray. And relationships, be it with other Christians, be it with family, colleagues, people you just meet on the street. If any relationship we form is centred around being united into the vision of him to whom we pray and aligning ourselves with how God sees that person, how much more powerful are our relationships going to be? How much more are we going to see joy being brought into people's lives, people being saved, coming closer to God, growing in faith? So right if I lose a few minutes of prayer? Is that okay? Yeah. So if everyone's able to close their eyes, I thought a, a good way to finish would be 
just to have a, a minute of silence or so before I pray and consider are there relationships in your life where they are defined by boundaries? Are there relationships where you're happy for them to be surface rather than letting God enter them? And are there relationships where you're, you're thinking, oh, it'd be really great if God entered that, but haven't really prayed or aren't bringing it to him constantly? So I'll just leave some silence for us to do that. <laughs>